electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, selling away is a flurry of insider sales from top CEOs, a warning for you. Forget the Berkshires. Call this the Mount Everest of cash piles. Where can Warren Buffett make use of $168 billion? We'll show you some options. Turning off the spigot, a key billionaire. Network cuts off Nikki Haley. Are others about to follow? Danger on the roads. What new data on traffic accidents saying about our driving habits? Speaking of cars, a Chinese EV maker releasing the supercar that could give even Ferrari a run for its money. We'll show it to you. And it is making Mondays. And making $40 million a year has never been sweeter or hotter. We'll meet the man behind Mike's Hot Honey. And yes, there will be charcuterie. All that and more over the hour. So belly up, buckle up. Last call is up right now. All right, good evening here. Good afternoon out west. Good to be back with you. I'm Brian Sullivan. All that and more coming up across the hour. But first up on Last Call, the debate raging on Wall Street. Is the AI hype the real deal or maybe a big bubble waiting to burst? That was the question posed to J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon on CNBC earlier. Here's what he said. This is not hype. This, this is real. So, you know, when we had uh, the Internet bubble, the first round of eyeballs, you know, that was hype. This is not hype. It's real. But Apollo's chief economist, Torsten Slock, has a bit of a different take. He warns the current AI bubble may be bigger than the 90s tech bubble. Slock points out that the top 10 companies in the S&P are more overvalued than the top 10 companies were during the tech bubble nearly 30 years ago. Of course, the AI bonanza has fueled the market rally on Wall Street. Last week, NVIDIA's blockbuster numbers sent stocks soaring. But not all companies are benefiting from the AI boom. Shares of Alphabet taking a hit today. Melius Research warning the Google parent is losing its competitive advantage because of ChatGPT and AI, which they think could supplant Google search when you're looking for something. Think about this. You go to ChatGPT and say, what's the best hotel in New York or what's the best restaurant in Paris instead of using Google? So here's the big question that we are asking at the top of the show tonight. Who is right, if anybody, in the AI debate? Is it the real deal that Diamond says it is, or is Apollo right in pointing out that AI could be a whole lot of hype? Let's talk about it with our leadoff panel tonight. Joining us, Hightower, Chief Investment Strategist, CNBC contributor and star, Stephanie Link, and Waddell and Associate CEO and Chief Investment Strategist, David Waddell. David, good to have you on Last Call. Steph, good to see you again. Is this all hype, see you. all hope, or somewhere in the middle? I think we're in early innings. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Okay. No, I agree. Carry on. Brian, tell us. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Great way to start. Um, I think we're in early (laughs) innings in AI. Uh, you're at a, about, right now about a total addressable market of about 301 billion, and that is expected to grow 
40% CAGR by 2032 to $1.3 We don't really know if that's going to be the number or not, Brian, but the numbers are very, very big. And why I say that is because AI is only as good as the data that goes into it. So you need big data. You need data that is has size and scale and companies that can offer that. That's the lifeblood of AI. So it stretches beyond just the top 10 companies that have in the S&P 500 that have AI exposure. And there's a lot of different beneficiaries, right? There's the, the device guys for inference, which we're just starting to get data from. And that's why NVIDIA actually exploded last week because it became 40% of their total revenue. It's also training and infrastructure companies, software companies. So again, it, it kind of expands into such a big total, uh, not only a total addressable market, but also total end markets and companies. Yeah. And so while maybe you don't want to chase NVIDIA here, there are a lot of companies that are not have not done as well over the last year or two that you can take a look at and have exposure to. David, and I don't want to put words in Apollo or Torsten Slock's mouth, but I don't think they're saying it's a bust. But what it sounded like they were warning about or potentially warning about was that the valuation of these big companies was more extreme than the peak valuation of sort of similar companies back in the late 90s. Is there anything to that or are you a full on buyer of this AI train? Well, first of all, if Jamie Dimon's bullish, then I'm bullish because he's been bearish just about <laughs> everything. So if I go back and look at 1999, and I remember it, and I was there when Netscape went public and that whole thing happened, I mean, it, they were spraying IPOs everywhere, right? The cab drivers had a long list of stocks that they were promoting, and Van Wagner's fund, which was the Kathy Wood of the day, was up like 200% in the first quarter of the year. So we are not in a bubble. This is 1995. This is not 19. 1999. And I do think AI is business oxygen, and it's going to spread everywhere. Remember, we didn't have any earnings in the market last year outside of the Magnificent Seven. If we track forward over the next couple of years and some of this stuff starts to proliferate, because remember, we're still in early innings here, you could see earnings up 25% in the S&P 500, the 400, the 600, and, and returns are spread all over this market. In fact, I believe this is true, and Stephanie, correct me if it's not, but I think healthcare and financials are outperforming technology so far year to date, and the Magnificent Sevens become the Fantastic Four. So it just does not look like a bubble to me, and I believe in the promise of it from a productivity standpoint. And also, you combine it with dexterous robotics, and we create virtual workers, and we got a worker shortage in the economy. So no, I'm pretty bullish on it, but it's not a 10-month story. It's a 10-year story. And by the way, yeah. last point, the 10 years that started 95 to 2005, the S&P was up 11% a year. Small caps were up 15% a year. So this is going to drive earnings. That's why Jamie believes, and so do I. Well, maybe, Steph, you know, Jamie wants to believe that when all these companies that are AI adjacent or whatever you want to call that, that they use J.P. Morgan for their IPOs. There you go. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible, but no. I mean, honestly, the, I think the, the data that is, is, has been presented to us in terms of the numbers um, and just how enormous this opportunity is, again, not just for technology companies, just think about it for life cycle companies or healthcare. Look at some of the industries like 
precision ag farming. Um, uh, look at all kinds of consumer consumer companies. Just talk to the CEO of Wendy's and how much AI has changed, as well as McDonald's has as well. These companies have seen such remarkable change in their businesses. It's just early innings. Again, I'm not sure you want to run out, jump, and buy all of NVIDIA here, or a lot of the tech stocks that have run, including the top 10, maybe the MAG7. But there are definitely places to play mm -hmm. and definitely places that are going to offer attractive earnings down the road. But you, to my Google point at the top of the show, though, David, are there, there's going to be winners. You're optimistic. But could there also be losers? You know, is Melius Research correct? Could ChatGPT and other AI hurt companies that we thought had impenetrable mm -hmm. moats? Like Google. Google is a verb. Well, we just, everybody, no one says I'm going to bang something or I'm going to duck, duck, go that. Okay? They say I'm going to Google that, <laughs> but I wonder if they start GPTing that. Well, you're going to have to execute, right? So you're going to have to have the right mission. You're going to have to write leadership. You're going to have to have the right strategy. You're going to have to have the right execution. And you take Google, for instance. So I Googled. Google's mission prior to coming on, and it's to make the globe's information more useful and accessible. I don't know that censoring it and manipulating it is really on mission. So I think they've got a leadership problem, which does make them vulnerable, because if they're more interested in cultural results than search results, then yes, they can get blindsided and maybe they will. And if mm -hmm. you look at Apple, they went from an innovation company to a monetization company. I don't think that's the game you want to play right now. I mean, I think you got to be aware of what's going on. you got to move fast. Mm -hmm. you got to break things. you got to try stuff. And if you're not doing that, then yes, you are vulnerable, I think, in this technological cycle. Move fast and break things. I think some internet guy at Facebook said that once. David Waddell, Stephanie Link, great opening discussion. Trillions on the line. Thank you both. All right, so let's dive a little bit into the market, see what happened to your money today. Not a great start to the week. All the major averages down, but not terribly so. The S&P, the bigger decline, are down three-tenths of 1%. Inside the market, your stud of the day was Palo Alto Networks. They got a 7% pop. Remember, they got whacked last week. The big decliner, Insulet Corp. Weak guidance there. That hit that stock to the tune of 8%. Very quick check of the futures to see what might happen tomorrow. Again, thinly traded. A little bit of red on the screen for now. All right, we are just getting started. And up next, the Supreme Court case that could alter big tech as we know it. Plus, is the music about to stop for Nikki Haley, a key billionaire network suspending its support? Are more about to follow suit? New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu is up with that and more. Stick around. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work.
All right, let's get at tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the stories and headlines you and Wall Street will be talking about. First up, Kava earnings. They are out, but they're out a day early. Barron's reporting the results before Kava was set to post earnings tomorrow night. Whoops. Well, how'd they do? Well, Kava beat expectations and saw revenue jump 53% over the same period last year. Same store sales also up 11% for the quarter. Shares of Kava, they're in the green right now. Next up, a potential wrench in Chevron's mega deal to buy Hess. ExxonMobil and China's National Offshore Oil Corporation, better known as CNUC, asserting a right to counter Chevron's offer for Hess's stake in the massive oil project off of Guyana. Exxon operates that project, and according to the filing, Chevron warned it may not be able to complete the buyout of Hess, quote, within the time frame the company anticipates, or at all. Chevron stock mildly in the red right now. And you go, crypto, Bitcoin crossing for the 54,000 for the first time since December of 2021. Other cryptocurrencies also getting a boost. Analysts pointing to traders getting ready for the Bitcoin halving in April. Over the last month, Bitcoin up just over 30%. And finally, a major departure at Disney. Sean Bailey, who's the president of Disney's motion picture production, is stepping down after 14 years. Disney lost its global box office crown last year to our parent company, Universal. David Greenbaum, co-president of Searchlight Pictures, will take over. Shares of Disney not moving much after hours. By the way, speaking of Disney, be sure to tune in to Last Call tomorrow night. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will join us. He's got some big news to share about Disney. We'll talk to him about that and more tomorrow night right here on this program. Meantime, the Supreme Court taking up two major social media cases regarding free speech and content moderation. CNBC senior Washington correspondent Eamon Javers tuned into oral arguments today. Eamon, in simple terms, what is the key issue or issues and where does it appear that some of the justices stand on those? Yeah, Brian, well, today's arguments involve laws in Florida and Texas that seek to require social media platforms to provide equal access to all political points of view and prevent them from excluding some political commentary on freedom of speech grounds. Now, the states argue that the users of social media sites have freedom of speech rights to express themselves, but the companies led by their trade associations argue that it's the companies themselves that have the freedom of speech right to decide what to include or not to include in their own services. And throughout the oral arguments this morning, all sides sought to find the right analogy from the past to fit their argument about the technology of the future. One analogy is that this is much like a shopping mall where some courts have found private owners do have a responsibility to allow political activity by customers because the malls are akin to town squares, say. Another, though, was Boston's St. Patrick's Day Parade, where the Supreme Court held that private organizers could not be forced to allow a gay rights group to participate there because the organizers had the freedom to decide what to include or not include in their own event. And Justice Elena Kagan even raised the question of what all this means for Etsy, the vintage craft e-commerce site. No decisions today. Uh, these are just arguments, but we did get a sense of how the justices are thinking about these issues as they question the attorneys for both sides. Back over to you, Brian. Do we know roughly what would be the major stakes for the social media companies? I mean, these are pretty powerful arguments that both sides are making. What, what, do we know how to quantify the real risk? 
Yeah, I, d I don't know how to quantify it and put a number on it for you, Brian, but you would have to imagine that if these laws are upheld, it would require just a major rethink of how they operate in terms of anything political. You know, if you open yourself up to litigation or government investigation by not having a you know balanced political debate on your service, would you offer politics at all on your service? Or would you dial back in some way that's dramatically different from the way those social media sites look now? That's what they'd have to really look at. Yeah, big deal, and we're glad you're on it. Eamon Jabbers, thank you. All right, still ahead here on Last Call, a billionaire network running dry for Nikki Haley. Will a new fundraising blitz get underway tonight to keep her campaign afloat? Governor Chris Sununu up with that and more. Plus, how to spend a $168 billion pile of cash. Some advice for Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back. Well, I am back, and so the RBI is back. And today it's all about mountains of cash, Omaha, Nebraska style. Because Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway just out with its annual filing. And boy, is the Berkshire Hathaway team sitting on a massive pile of dough. They have a record $167.6 billion in cash. Now, that's a big number. So what will the Oracle of Omaha do with that money? Could he take another bite of a big company? Well, with that amount of cash... Berkshire Hathaway can pretty much do it at once, but to put it in context, they can go out and buy Uber, well, for no premium, buy Caterpillar, buy Nike, or buy Pfizer. Not the stocks, but basically the entire companies. Or what if Buffett wanted to get into sports? <laughs> this is mind-blowing. Berkshire Hathaway, by itself, now has enough money to buy the 10 most valuable sports teams in America – the Cowboys, the Giants, the Warriors, the Yankees, the Patriots, and more, and still have nearly $100 billion left over. Buy 10 teams, have $100 billion remaining. Of course, we don't know what Warren Buffett is going to do with all that cash. They've been buying more and more of Occidental Petroleum, something they could make a run at controlling the entire company. Who knows? It's up to Warren and his superb team to decide, but decide they can't, because one thing is certain. Berkshire has plenty of options and plenty of cold, hard cash. $167.6 billion. Random, but amazing. All right, now to a different kind of money. That is politics, because things continue to heat up and evolve. This weekend, former President Trump defeated former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley in South Carolina. Now, following that defeat, major GOP donor The Koch Network announced it will stop spending money on Haley's campaign, Instead, saying it will focus on spending toward House and Senate races across the country. Despite the loss, Haley has vowed to keep fighting and stay in the race. She's even scheduled a fundraising event or events in a number of battleground states ahead of Super Tuesday, which is just over one week away. But given Haley lags far behind in many polls, many are asking, what is Nikki Haley's ultimate endgame and why do people continue to donate to her campaign? Well, joining us now is New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu. Governor, welcome back. We had 
Uh, Ambassador and Governor Haley on this program last week. She was sharp. She was engaged. She was definitely aggressive. Does she, though, have a path forward here? Oh, well, absolutely. Look, Nikki's endgame is obviously to get the nomination, uh, to remind folks that with her at the top of the ticket, Republicans win up and down the ballot. With Trump at the top of the ticket, as was happened in 22 and 20, we lose seats. So it's really a message of we're tired of losing. We're tired of losers. We're, we want winners and we want winning. And that's why the money continues to pour in. Trump raises money for his legal costs. Nikki is raising money to run for president. Um, Trump is trying to save himself. Nikki's trying to save this party and move this country forward. Forward. So it's two, uh, I think, very distinct and clear messages. All the data shows that that's exactly what the, the, the following two strategies are. Trump knows how to use the earned media. There's no question about it. He's the incumbent president. He's been the standard bearer of our party for some time. So that's it, that's never an easy mountain to climb. But the fact is, Nikki got 45 percent, 40 percent. He's not winning with mandates here. He's not for a guy who is really the, you know, the standard bearer of the party and the former president to have 40, 45 percent of folks come out and say, we need somebody else. We need a generational change in just the first few states. That opens a lot of opportunity for anybody with resources like Nikki Haley, who's smart, who's charismatic, who's likable, who has all the experience in the world, who's tough internationally. Trump is falling all yeah. over himself internationally right now, showing a lot of weakness. Uh, Republicans are not caring for that one bit. So there's still a lot of opportunity here with Super Tuesday coming up, especially in Michigan and some of these Midwestern states that frankly should have more Republicans in the House and more Republicans as governor. If but with Trump at the top, it's just not going to get done. I don't place a whole lot of faith in polls. We've seen them be very wrong in 16, very wrong in 2020. We don't know always their methodology. It's a small number of people reached. That said, it's all we have, Governor. And at least what Quinnipiac shows, they had a poll which was Haley versus Biden. And Haley, I think, was up by 15 or 16 percent over President Biden, where basically Trump and Biden were, were tied given the margin of error in the poll. So if that's just one poll, but again, Given what we see on the other side and given what we see with all the, the, the drama and chaos around the former president, is this, the, is this really the matchup that we are going to have, which is President Biden versus President Trump again? How is this possible? Yeah, I know. Look, so you, you've said it very well. 70, 75 percent of America is praying that that is not the matchup. Um, and, and again, that's why Nikki's staying in. That's why she's giving uh, America and, and most importantly, Republicans a choice. You know, uh, there's very little campaigning done so far in a lot of those Super Tuesday states. Most of the campaigning's all in the first early three or four states so far. So the, the messaging right now for a lot of those voters in those Super Tuesday states up until now is just what they hear in national media. And Trump gets all the headlines and all that sort of thing. He's he plays the victim all of a sudden. The tough guy is now playing the victim in, in court and he knows how to play that up. He knows how to get that earned media. And so that's why his numbers tend to be higher. But as the argument is made, as Nikki goes to these states, as she's engaging with these voters, doing retail politics, which Trump is not doing, that's why she goes sometimes from five to 40 percent, from two to 45 percent. I mean, she surges the more time she has on the ground with folks. So that's really what it's about. Having the, the resources, having the time, spending it in these battleground states, uh, you know, these uh, the, the, the 20 or so. Uh, uh, Super Tuesday states making the argument because when she does, uh, all the numbers start skyrocketing in her favor. Yeah. And that poll that I gave, by the way, is just in a two person race, Haley versus Biden. If you add Robert F. Kennedy, Cornell West and others into that, it actually shows Biden slightly ahead because Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who, by the way, will be our guest again on this program on Thursday. Uh, do you think that that Kennedy hurts Republicans or Democrats more, Governor? 
I don't know. Honestly, I yeah. don't know. I don't think anybody knows right now. You know, he's a big anti-vaxxer, so that would draw a lot off of the Republican side of things. Um, he used to be a, a Democrat. You know, the Kennedy name is uh, typically associated with Democrats, so he might pull a few there. Either way, it's not going to it's not going to be substantial enough to win. He's just going to be a spoiler for somebody. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, as much as folks want to talk about a third party, th- there's no real viable yeah. way. People, unfortunately, right now are voting more out of fear than opportunity. They more say, well, um, I don't really uh, like the, yeah. the re- you know, if Trump were the nominee, I wouldn't like Trump as the nominee, but I'm afraid if I don't do it, then Biden will win. And the Democrats would do the same thing. So that, that's an, an unfortunate uh, position, but uh, yeah, it, it just, that's, it's, that's it's where the we are in America. We're just and, voting. And we're not voting for somebody. We're voting against the other person, uh, by the way. Uh, you know, anyway, let's talk about very quickly the border. Obviously, you've got President Biden and Trump both going to different parts of the border on Thursday, sort of warring photo ops, if you will. Um, We talk a lot about the southern border, Governor. You've got a problem, actually, at the northern border. It doesn't get a lot of attention. It's not nearly the numbers. But I know that you and others, Gene Shaheen in New Hampshire, have warned about uh, more people coming across the northern border. Again, we are a nation of immigrants. You've got to be careful with this. But at the same time, I think most of our viewers would probably agree we'd like to know who these people are, where are they from, right? You, you mentioned vaccinations. Are they vaccinated for things, not COVID, for smallpox, for measles? What is their goal here? Yeah, no. What are we going to yeah, do? You've hit it right in the head. About the border, Bo- both borders, by yeah. the way. Yeah, so let, let's talk about the north. The reason, the reason we talk about the northern border is simple. Uh, over the past year, more illegal crossings than in the last 10 years combined. And here's the scariest fact. More people uh, on the terrorist watch list try to cross the northern border than the southern border. More, like three or four times more. There's more apprehensions there. So they're using what they call the Swanton sector, the eastern part, the Buffalo sector. They want to come into New York, but that's where we apprehend people on the terrorist watch list. It's serious. Uh, we put together a, a task force alliance here in New Hampshire. At a minimum, we're telling people, hey, we don't have a huge border here, but you better not come here. We're not playing. Uh, we're working with, with Border Patrol and, and helping them any way we can Why, to make those Governor, apprehensions. we got to go, but I have to, I'm critical. sorry to interrupt. i got to go, okay. but i got to ask you this because it's getting politicized. As we know, all of a sudden the border's an issue. You said in one year we had more than in 10 years. What exactly has happened? What changed that the number of southern and northern border crossings and encounters has gone up in the south by millions, by millions of people? What happened? In the first 100 days, Joe Biden signed 16 different executive orders, proclamations, and memos. It's all in policy changes. And you know how I know that? That's exactly what the Border Patrol told us. It's all a change in policy that allows folks, they got rid of the remain in Mexico. It allows for more amnesty. The catch and release policies are real. They're being taken advantage of, um, obviously, by the millions at this point. So all those policy changes could literally change tomorrow if Joe Biden wanted to do it. He doesn't have the will. He says he made campaign promises. There's a very strong lobby in Washington uh, keeping his feet to the fire. But they know what a disaster it's been, and they could change it tomorrow. If you just look at those 16 initial policies that he signed, you just undo those. Hey, how about this? How about we go back to Obama's policies? How about that as a start? Republicans would take that as a huge win at this point, never mind what Joe Biden has done. The average was about 400,000 a year under the Obama-Biden administration. It's now could be 4 million This year, Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire, the great Granite State. Governor, thank you very much. All right, coming up, the one stop to rule them all that even leaves NVIDIA in the dust, and it has nothing to do with AI or tech, the surprising name ahead. Plus, 
A sudden rush of insider stock sales from big-time CEOs? Could you be concerned? We'll talk about it. All right, let's get now to your last call watch list, and let's talk about one stock to rule them all. And no, it is not NVIDIA. We can't help but ogle at the meteoric rise of Elf Beauty. Did you get the Lord of the Rings reference? Elf's cosmetics are known online for imitating higher-end designer brands. Elf has seen its sales and its stock price soar. After reporting earnings today, Elf's stock price jumped another 7%, sales booming. Young consumers are going rabid for their products. As Elf captures the market share, heavily influenced by social media, you could say that forms a solid foundation. But today's gain is just a drop in the bucket. Over the past year, Elf shares have jumped more than 170%. And when you stretch that out over five years, Elf Beauty is up more than 2,000%. That is hotter than AI darling NVIDIA. Those gains for Elf are surely enough to make any investor blush. So investors have been buying a ton of Elf, but some really big names have been selling a lot of other stocks. Take a look at this scorecard, and it's kind of bonkers. So far this month, here are some big stock sellers. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos sold over $8 billion worth of stock. Meta CEO Zuckerberg, about $600 million. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon offloading $150 million. By the way, his first Big sale, if not sale, ever. Palantir CEO selling, that is not all. AMD CEO selling, about $20 million worth. President of Microsoft selling, ServiceNow. Walmart CEO selling, we could go on and on, but then we'd eat the entire segment. Those are some of the biggest stock sales from big players that we have ever seen. But sales happen for a lot of reasons. So does this mean anything? Joining us now is Ben Silverman. He is the VP of Research with Verity. He's also the host of the Insider Trading Podcast, Differentiated, and now uncovered as my closet source for the Friday Insider buying segments. Uh, you'll go incognito with the fake beard on, Ben. I'm kidding. Thanks for joining us. Uh, insiders sell for a lot of reasons, tax reasons. They want to have a trust. Maybe they want to buy a second yacht. Can we read into any of these things? Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, I mean, every situation is different. That's what we tell our clients. You know, and we can break down these situations and try to understand why they're selling. So sometimes it's valuation oriented, and that's what we care about, and that's what investors should care about. Yeah, let's talk about J.P. Morgan because I think, and you guys do a fantastic job. Whenever we do our segment, I always say it's the you know the first insider buy ever by this particular CEO or board member. This is, I think, it's definitely the biggest. Is this the first big sale or any sale of J.P.M. by Diamond? So this was Jamie Dimon's first sale ever. They had said uh, last October that he was going to sell some stocks, so we were expecting it. And uh, what, what caught our attention here is we thought he was going to do it methodically. He said he was going to sell about a million shares. Prior to the selling, he owned about eight and a half million shares. So, you know, a decent cut, you know, in holdings. But uh, he just celebrated, I believe, his 20th anniversary as the head of J.P. Morgan, or he's celebrating that this year. We thought he was going to do it methodically. Instead, he sold over 800,000 shares the first the first mm. sale. So that made us think a little bit. The stock was hitting new highs. We saw other executives at the company uh, selling, doing some unusual selling behavior you know, as well. 
And when we started looking at Jamie Dimon's background, you know, we know he, he's on our leaderboard. He's one of the best insider buyers that we've ever seen. He historically called the bottom of the, during a uh, banking situation in 2016. He was a buyer during the great financial crisis. He's got a stellar buying track record. So when he pops up and he sells mm -hmm. in a way that appears to be valuation-oriented, we take notice. So that makes us cautious on JPM. And this is about yeah. the valuation. Stocks can't go up forever. At some point, they inflect. They have to consolidate, you know. And uh, that's that's what it is. It's not about a stock falling off a cliff. It's about, you know, being fully valued. Well said. And we're going to timestamp that. We'll get you back on, Ben, and we'll see if this maybe J.P. Uh, Diamonds, he called his own top, if you will. Ben Silverman of Verity. Great stuff. We'll see you for the uh, insider buying segment on Friday as well. Ben, I think. Thank you. Take care. All right, coming up, move over Tesla. A China-built EV supercar may have Ferrari, Tesla, and others in its sights. Plus, if you think American roads have gotten more dangerous, you're not wrong. A new study reveals what may be really behind it, and those new numbers are ahead. Welcome back. Let's talk about one of our favorite subjects, and that is cars, because check this out. Chinese automaker BYD has unveiled its all-electric supercar. It's called the U9. Kind of sounds like a submarine. Anyway, BYD could be coming in hot for Ferrari or other high-end car makers. Now, the U9 will start at a cool $233,000. It'll be released under BYD's luxury brand, which is called Yang Wang. Top speed, just under 200 miles an hour, and 0 to 60 in under three seconds. Delivery is set to begin this summer. For more now on what we know and don't know about this EV supercar, is Haggerty automotive journalist Jason Kamisa. Jason, it's always great to have you on. I love talking about it. What do we know Thank about the, the unfortunately named U9? Well, we know it's fast. Uh, we know we're talking, you know, 1,300 horsepower and almost 200 miles an hour. Uh, this is a really good time to be a speed junkie. Yeah. Is this going to be, is this like one of these things they do as like a marketing gimmick? And by the way, it's working because we're talking about it or is this the real deal? It, it probably is the real deal. I, I mean, electric cars have really commoditized speed. We have a, a sedan for sale in America called the Lucid Air Sapphire that has 1,234 horsepower. And according, if we look at the, the data that we've gotten from BYD so far, we'll blow the doors off of the U9. Um, so this isn't actually new, but what's happening is everything is being disrupted with electricity. Our next segment's space. actually on traffic death, so it's kind of a serious <laughs> topic. And, and, and as, a, as a 25 to 30-year car racer myself, I understand people think when they ride with me, they're like, you you drive fairly rationally. I'm like, because car racers know how fast things can go out of control. We understand, you know, you don't think things are going to occur and the next thing you know, you're upside down. Um, do we need all this power? I mean, with that torque and with that power and the weight of some of these EVs, it does seem like a dangerous combination, Jason. Oh, without question, it's dangerous. I mean, dangerous fun, let's not forget. There's, there's a reason we all want speed. Um, but the reality is we're, we're, we are definitely trending towards uh, irresponsibility with all these cars. Especially they're, they're heavy, they're quiet, and they're unbelievably fast. Um, maybe not the most, maybe not the smartest thing to do. Well, and some of them, and fun. I've driven so many of them, and I don't want to single one out, but so many of them do turn on with your tush. Your, your butt is the key effectively, you don't even, you're not even aware sometimes that some of these cars are on. And to your point, Jason, it's like you, the, the car's on, you're not aware of it, there's no noise, you tap the throttle, 
Next thing you know, you whack, and you know, and I, you just wonder. I wonder if the car company should stop advertising zero to sixty times, just because is that really how we want to sell a car these days? <laughs> It, 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 unfortunately, you're right. We probably shouldn't, but that is what sells cars, especially when you're talking about supercars and really fast stuff. Uh, I don't think that's going to stop, but I do see continuation of the proliferation of safety things. Tesla has a built-in system called object-aware acceleration, for example, that no one knows about and no one talks about. But if it sees something in front of you and you slam on the gas, it will uh, delay your request, to put it that way, or slow you down. Um, so those safety measures do have to come in because we're... Yeah. Pretty crazy territory here. Another smart move, I think, by Tesla, certainly in the weight, plays into it. Jason Camissa, really appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. Thank All you. All right. Well, you're welcome back anytime. So now let's talk more about that troubling side of driving. New data out from the National Safety Council finds that 44,000 people died on American roads and highways last year. And while that was, thankfully, down 4% from 2022, it is still a nearly 14% jump from 2019. So what exactly is going on on American roads? Joining us tonight is NSC Roadway Practice Area EVP, Mark Chung. Mark, and I appreciate you coming on because I have a long commute and I get home and I tell my family every day I see what looks to be a fatal or near fatal wreck. And I'm not exaggerating. It's the New Jersey Turnpike. It's like a bumper cars out there. What kind of data do you guys have and what exactly do you think is behind this rise in deaths the last few years? Yeah, so I think uh, what you're describing is unfortunately uh, what a lot of us see on a daily basis. And um, I think uh, what's contributing to this is, is that we've had a deadly confluence of many factors. Uh, in the previous segment, you, you spoke about speed. Speed is definitely up since the pandemic. Um, impaired driving is up. Distracted driving is up and, um, you know, sort of uh, juxtaposed against all this is basic Newtonian physics. Uh, we're driving vehicles that have never been bigger. We're driving vehicles that have never been heavier. Uh, you, when you combine that with speed, um, you know, I think what we're seeing out in the roadways is, is really yeah. something obvious. Um, you know, we're, the human body is just not designed to sustain this type of force in the crash. You know, and all, I've got a I've got a Jeep that's kind of you know kind of jacked up. It's got the extra shocks and everything like that. So I, I tend to sit up a little bit higher, and which means I can kind of see what's going on. And Mark, if I said that eighty percent of people that pull up alongside me at night, you can tell, are on their phones. Some of them watching what appears to be movies on their phones. The cell phone has got to be a major part of this. Yeah, distracted driving is definitely uh, a problem. Um, you know, getting data on on uh, distracted driving and 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 how it contributes to fatalities and injuries is, is still very elusive. But we know uh, anecdotally, right? What you see on the road and what I see on the road is there's a wide wide prevalence of distracted driving. It is, and uh, the numbers. I'm glad they're down from 2022 to 2023. We'd like to see that continue. But well up the last few years, Mark Chung of the National Safety Council, an important story. And we appreciate you coming on, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Coming up, let's have a little fun. It's Make It Monday time involving $40 million. We're going to talk about hot honey, pizza, and even margaritas. Plus, during February, we're celebrating Black Heritage. Here's president and CEO of FedEx Custom Critical, Ramona Hood, sharing her story. It's truly an homage to reflect on the stories of those that have broken barriers and inspire the next generation. 
It was representation like Ursula Burns that allowed me to see the possibilities of becoming a president and CEO of FedEx Custom Critical. I humbly understand my assignment and responsibility to have a positive impact through my contributions and paving the way for our community. All right, welcome back. It's Monday. So you know what that means. It's also time for our Make It series, where we highlight entrepreneurs across America. And tonight, we are turning up the heat and the sweet. Meet Mike Kurtz, the founder of the very popular Mike's Hot Honey. Mike's Hot Honey is unique because of the kick that you get on the back of your palate. I really had no idea that this would become a business. I'm Mike Kurtz, founder of Mike's Hot Honey, based here in Brooklyn, New York. Condiments truly elevate food. The first time I tasted the combination of honey and chili peppers on pizza, it blew my mind. I just couldn't shake the memory of it. I realized I wanted to try to make for myself. The product was a long process. It required a lot of chili pepper consumption, which was quite painful at times. I got really into making pizza at home. Pauly G opened his original wood fire pizzeria, Pauly G's, in March of 2010. I went there to try it and met him. By the end of the conversation, he could tell that I was really into making pizza, and he asked if I would be interested in coming in as a pizza apprentice. At this time, I was making Mike's Hot Honey in small batches, one gallon at a time, in the back of the pizzeria. I started selling bottles off the bar in November of 2010, and shortly thereafter, I was lucky to have some press Pretty soon I had orders coming in from other restaurants, from specialty retailers around the city and beyond. It's used on everything from pizza to fried chicken to cocktails to charcuterie and cheese boards. There's virtually nothing that it can't, it can't go on. The brand has grown on this wave of word of mouth. Also through our restaurant partnerships. When I originally started making Mike's Hot Honey, it was purely for my own personal consumption and as something that I wanted to share with family and friends. And very quickly, it took on a life of its own. And Mike Kurtz joining us now on set, schlepping in from Brooklyn. You brought a margarita. I did. This is got, welcome, by the way, Mike. We met in the uh, green room earlier, so Thanks for having it's me. our fake TV welcome. We are <laughs> we're old pals now. You got a margarita, got, and you're gonna. We have regular and extra hot. That's right. We've got our original and we've got our extra hot, which is about ten times hotter than the original. Ten times hotter than the original. You said you wanted the extra hot. Food is like love. It should hurt just a little bit to be good. You can use that line. This is from Baggio's Pizza in Fort Lee. <laughs> no sponsor. So. Let's do it. Let's put a little extra hot honey, extra hot. Don't kill me now. I still got to like, finish the show on this pizza. I'm going to take a sip of the margarita, and I want to hear what was the aha moment for you. Was there a breakthrough, or was it just literally slow build, slow build? Well, really, like... Cheers, by the way. Cheers. I'll give you the zigzag drizzle. That's a lot. Whoa, come on. Listen. This is what I get for bragging. In the green room, I was like, oh, I can eat hot food. You were, you were talking delicious. a big game. I was. So while I destroy myself with this deliciousness, tell us about that mo about the process, where you, how you got here, and, and more importantly, where you're going. Yeah. So I, I started the company out of a pizzeria where I work. So pizza is the original pairing. Um, but as soon as it got into the hands of home cooks and chefs, people started putting mm. it on everything. So now mm. 
Versatility is really the name of the game for us. We see it used in cocktails, on cheese and charcuterie, pizza, fried chicken, roasted vegetables, shrimp, salmon. Um, and it started to just sort of grow organically uh, through word of mouth. Today, see what I'm doing here? Yeah. It's well, hot. What do you think? It's not too sweet, though. I was worried because I'm not a big honey consumer, but it can be a little sweet. It didn't. I thought it was going to make the pizza too sweet, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> Go ahead. So we, we, we started growing the brand. Um, today we're in the honey aisle on Walmart. There's a honey aisle? The honey aisle of Walmart, Whole Foods, Target, Publix, your local grocery store. And we're on the menu in over 3,000 restaurants nationwide. How do you taste test it? That's good. By the way, that is delicious. It's, and it's hot. Well, we have, a very, <laughs> we have a very scientific way for, for ensuring every batch is consistent today. But when I was first developing the product, I taste tested hundreds of different chili peppers at the market. I would go to the... Did you blow your face off at some point? Literally, but, like, what, what's this pepper? Oh, it's grown in the, the Guatemalan caves, you know? Well, I would carry a, a carton of whole milk in my backpack. Because that's what, you know. Do you still fat. have that in your, do you have that right now? No, actually. In <laughs> What's the in the briefcase, Marcellus? You got the lights. I love that. Now we know what's in the briefcase. And that's part of your story. People ask you what's in the briefcase. That's right. With the lights. <laughs> you can't have this case, honey bunny. No, I'm taking this home. <laughs> Hot honey bunny. This is delicious, by the way. What's next for Mike's Hot Honey? Have you been approached to be bought? Um, we, are, we are speaking to a number of interested companies, um, you know, but we're really focused yeah. on growing the brand. Um, Wish you the best. We got to leave it here so I can go drink some milk. <laughs> Delicious. Mike Kurtz, Mike's Hot Honey. Appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow night. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.